Well, welcome everybody to the Impact Nations podcast. My name is Tim and I am your host. Uh, today we are joined by a very special guest, Paul Young. Paul is the author of several popular titles, including The Shack and his most recent book, Lies We Believe About God. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. Uh, honored to be with you, Tim. It is Great. a delight. Uh, it, actually, one quick question I realized as I'm saying it. I, you're, I call you Paul, but... It's a bit confusing. You your, your first, your first book, you, was authored by William Paul Young, and then yeah, got shortened down joke. to WM. Is that just because they were charging you by the letter, and you wanted to save a few bucks? Oh, exactly. Right. <laughs> you know, being a Canadian and all. So, uh, so I'm one of four generations of Williams, none of who go by William. Wow. And uh, uh, we all go by our middle names, and and so the William thing was just because I didn't wasn't my intention to be a published author you know that sort of happened on the on on the on the ride and and so when I was playing with it because I wrote the shack for my kids so there's all kinds of little jokes in fact the very first manuscript said the shack by Mackenzie Allen Phillips with William P Young hmm. and um, and it was just like you know I was uh, I was playing well eventually Mackenzie had had to be taken off authorship and and I got to um, be the author but then the William, the William thing stuck for a long time but nobody in my world knows me as William and it was great because for some of my friends in Canada when the book first came out they would call me and they'd go like have you seen this book by this William Young I mean he sounds just like you are you related to him you know That's I said no nah, he's I heard he's a heretic you know? <laughs> It's nice to be able to distance yourself from yourself when it, when the time is right. Exactly. <laughs> ah, no, that's some other guy. Oh, that's a hoot. Well, you and I have a couple of things in common. Uh, we were both Canadians uh, living in America, although you've been doing that for a lot longer than I. Um, we're also both big uh, Bruce Coburn fans. Oh, uh, my gosh. So I was, when I first read The Shack, uh, whatever that was, 10 years ago or, or so, uh, and I turned to my wife, I said, this guy is talking about Bruce Coburn. This is the best thing ever. So my, I think all inquiring minds want to know, what do you think is the definitive Bruce Coburn album? Dark to the Heart. Um, I love Dark to the Heart. Hmm. And, and it has a very special place in our life. Uh, but, you know, Coburn's got 30-some albums. Yes, yeah? he does. And, uh, and I love his old, old stuff. And, um, you know, but there's always like three or four songs on every album that just are okay this this is a life keeper right here yeah. and uh, and so coburn and leonard cohen and gordon lightfoot and you know a whole bunch of other musicians uh rock and rollers as well uh that are that i was familiar with i was a rock and roll disc jockey in ckck radio in regina saskatchewan when i was working my way through bible school which is wild but um, <clears throat> so music's always been very, very significant to me. And Coburn, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the best singer songwriters, musicians uh, on the planet. And um, I have always loved his stuff. You know, it was funny when I wrote The Shack, you have to keep in mind that I wasn't intending to be a published author. So I violated all kinds of intellectual property rights and I didn't even know it. And um Somebody, somebody told me that they were in a Coburn concert and Coburn says, have any of you guys seen this book called The Shack? You know, and, and so he did this from the stage. And if you know him in concert, he doesn't talk a lot. Yeah. And he says, yeah, this guy kind of violated all my intellectual property rights. And he laughed about it. 
Um, but because of the shack, he wrote his uh, spiritual memoir, right? And, um, and so he called me up. He, said, he says, you know, this is your fault, you know? And he wow. said, the publisher called me up and said, you need to write a spiritual memoir. And I said, what's that? And, and they said, yeah, exactly. We don't know either, but we think you're the guy to do it. <laughs> so, and, then, and then we got the permissions to use the little quote lines. And it's so funny because in the, in the movie, in the scene where Mackenzie comes out on the porch and Papa's singing, only love can break your heart, right? You like Neil Young? And, and he says, he's okay. <laughs> and, then, and, and then Papa says, how'd you sleep? And he, he, he does the, the guy thing, right? The international deflection word, fine. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and she goes, dreams are important. Sometimes they're a way of opening up the window, letting the bad air out. See, that's a Coburn line. You bet it is. Uh, yeah. So, From breakfast uh, in New Orleans, dinner in Timbuktu. For those who are yeah, interested in a good place to start, that's a fantastic album to start to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so here, um, they couldn't get the property rights fast enough for the movie. So Neil Young said yes. So she was able, she was because she's going to be singing a, a Coburn song too, is what she was supposed to be doing. But because we couldn't get the property, you know, the intellectual rights yeah. fast enough. She was singing Neil Young and then quoted Coburn. So I'm just like, yes. Nice work. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> All right. So welcome to another episode of uh, the Bruce Coburn podcast. No. Um, so, Paul, one of the things that we've been doing a lot lately uh, here on the Impact Nations podcast, and actually we've been doing it with our mutual friend Brad Jerzak quite a bit, is just talking about the nature of the gospel and how we communicate the good news of Jesus. Uh, so... I was hoping that you and I could just spend a few minutes on that today. Um, I, maybe a good place to start is what motivates you to share the gospel? One is it's good news. And it wasn't growing up. Mm. <laughs> to me, it was, uh, it was a, a fear-based escapist kind of gospel and transactional at the core. And there was so many things that just didn't make any sense. And um, so if, to answer your question very specifically, I refer to the man born blind. That's exactly how I feel. I mean, of all the characters in the New Testament, um, the John, he's John 9, and he's, he's born blind, and he lives his life based on the environment that he's in. And mine was modern evangelical fundamentalism. So very reformed in its theology, very um, forensic in its atonement, you know, uh, uh, a legal model. And... Um, and but it didn't change anything in me you know there had to be at some point a revelation that came from the inside that that god was different than i thought god was mm -hmm. and that um i as a human being was different than i was told i was and um as that happened and my eyes began to open up then the changes that i had been begging god for and praying for naturally began to happen and so my theological frame of reference, the way that I grew up, did not empower me at all. It just ground me into the dust in terms of guilt and shame and fear. And, and, and I pursued God. Trust me, I'm the firstborn missionary kid, preacher's kid. 
you know, and so I had the hands laid on me and dedicated to the work of God and, you know, a bunch of other curses. And, and so, uh, it, you know, and it became my addiction, but it didn't heal the brokenness. And, and it was a world where you couldn't even have baggage, not really. So you had to, that's where all the imagery for the shack comes from. It's, it's the house on the inside that someone has helped you build. You know, it's where you then store your secrets and addictions. And then you build a facade that you can paint as fast as you can pick up people's expectations. But your, but your inside world is divorced from your outside world. What you're, what you're desiring to be as an authentic human being gets stuck inside your addictions and gets stuck inside the damage that was done to you. And, uh, and a lot of us, we didn't, get, we didn't get good help building the house on the inside. So the reason that I like to talk about the gospel is because it's been transformational for me. And not, and not through, oh, finally he got his act together. Right. You know, it's, it's been a revelational kind of transformation. And then to have my theology reach, I was going to say reformed, but, um, but transformed so that the character and nature of God actually becomes love. You know, and and Trinity and relationship and all of that began to work inside of that. And then, you know, I'd always been drawn to beauty and elegance and wonder. They they were the interruptions in my performance oriented perfectionism. And so um, so I I I love the gospel and I find out that it's the way that it's been presented since the early church. Mm. Somehow we got sidetracked, you know, a few hundred years ago. And, and, um, and we ended up with an absolutely, boy, to pick my right words, because, you know, the people who, who are, are, are the ones angry with me because of what they read and what I do. I mean, they're all my own people, uh, for the most part. They're, they're modern evangelicals, and I, they're dear to me. I, I picked up a lot of great things in that in that legacy, but man, did I also um, inherit a lot of what I now consider really abusive theology. So when, when you're presenting the gospel uh, now, uh, and not necessarily even as a contrast to before, but just, just now, I'm, I'm interested to hear just it, you tell us a little bit about uh, the gospel. Uh, you know, at Impact Nations, we seek out opportunities to present the gospel and, and to people in desperate need all over the globe, right? Yeah. Uh, and we're often, you know, we find ourselves perhaps in a, a prison in Kenya, and we've got hundreds of men who have uh, just been receiving a meal or clean water from us. Or we're in yeah. a village in India. We just spent the day healing the sick and, and getting medicine to people and clean water into their homes and things like that. And now we find ourselves with, with hundreds of Sikhs standing, wanting to know, really, what, why are you here? What did, why did you come to do this for us? Um, oh, because, so we, because we're better, smarter and whiter. <laughs> <laughs> You're a rascal. So, you know, if... And I know your situations are different, obviously, but when you find yourself in a similar place in terms of just an opportunity to present the good news of Jesus, I'm I'm interested to hear, what's your gospel pitch? It is that from before the time of the beginnings, you were included in the embrace of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that 
that even if you don't know it, love lives in you and you're made in the image and likeness of God. And that's the truth of your being. And once you begin to understand that's the truth of your being, the way of your being can flow from that. What, what, what we taught as the gospel was very transactional. And, it, and it, to me, religion has three major components. It has separation. So you've got to be separated from God so that I can tell you how to get unseparated. And a lot of times the gospel is I'm going to tell you the magic words so that you can get unseparated from God. And then, um, so magic, separation, and sacrifice. And, um, and so when I'm talking to someone about the gospel, I'm talking to them about Jesus. And I'm talking to them about creation that is created, all of creation is created in Jesus. And the fact that even though they may not know it, they are a child of God. Acts 17, yeah? Yeah. And, um, and so there is, there is, the, I have friends who are in the prison system and, and they have come to know this beautiful gospel. And what they do with their friends that they'll go up to them and they'll put their arm around them and they'll go, Hey, have you heard, have you heard the good news? What you're included, hmm. right? You're included. You're included in the finished work of Jesus and you did it. And you were included by, by love themselves right? You were included. Whether you wanted to or not, you were included. And, and, and so, and immediately, they, and they tell me this all the time, as soon as they tell someone they're included, the person will begin to confess their sins, like their behavioral stuff. Interesting. Like they'll start saying, well, I can't be included because, and they'll start telling them their story, right? And they get to say, no, you know what? Not only are you made in the image of God, therefore you are a child of God, but you've been adopted. So it's not just family of origin. It's God then chose you on top of that. And that's irrevocable. Now, you, you may decide not to embrace that. You may decide that you don't want it, but you can't get away from it. This so, is a love that you cannot get away from. Yeah. So let's, let's nuance that a little bit, Paul, because I, it seems to me that the scripture makes it very clear that there is a response um, that is required. Um, you know, how many times did somebody say to, to the apostles, you know, what must I do to be saved? I think of, uh, Peter, you know, he, he preaches that amazing first sermon, uh, on the day of Pentecost. And suddenly yep. the, the question, uh, in response to the good news is what must we do to, to, uh, to be saved? I, I think of the, uh, Philippian jailer who, uh, just his immediate response is, what must I do to be saved? And there's an answer to that, which is repent and believe, or uh, in other times it's repent trust. and be baptized. So, yeah, so change the word believe to trust, because that's what peace is in the Greek. And, and a lot of times when we say believe, we, we now have a cognitive kind of um, reservoir in our mind and, mm. a, and, a, and a list of propositions that we can check off, and that's believing. You know, agreeing with, I go, I, I got this list of propositions. That's way different than trust. Hmm. Trust is a completely different thing than believing in intellectually something. And um, so the, so let's talk about salvation for a second. And, um, and which is the same as the word healing or wholeness or, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and salvation is used in three different tenses. 
And I'm, I'm going to also direct you to an article that you may have read. It's Brad's article on the three views of salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, incredibly great. And on my website, which is WM Paul Young, um, on the resource tab, uh, you'll find a bunch of articles listed there. One of them is the three views of salvation, transactional, unilateral, and a reciprocal relationship of love. And uh, how even historically we've gone through some of that that change in our view of what salvation is. But, but salvation is in three tenses. And boy, this relates to a lot of things because there is the completed work of Jesus. And that's, that's perfect tense. That's like completed action in the past that continues forever forward, right? And that's when we talk about the finished work. That's the one where scripture is saying, that this is a statement true and worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ is the Savior of all mankind. Or Luther's big verse, right? For God the Father was in Christ and reconciled, perfect tense, right? Reconciled the cosmos to himself, not counting their sins against them. So there is this absolute completed sense that you cannot add to, you cannot change it. It was done from the time of the beginnings. Jesus was crucified, you know, for us, as us, including us, so that when he died, we die because we're in him. All of creation is created in Christ, and that's the violation of the separation theology. And, all, and it continues to. It exists and moves and has its being. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, John 1, 3. And, uh, and, it, and that's the big point is that the, uh, I think it was Hillary in the early church who said, what Jesus does not assume cannot be healed. So he's got to assume everything about our humanity. He becomes sin for us. This is God becoming sin for us, right? And... Um, and so salvation has the finished work tense that everybody's included in. The entire cosmos is included in. Then there is the present ongoing tense. That's where the invitation to participate, right? So work it out. Because it is God in you working to do, right? That's the Philippians passage. So work it out. So we who are being saved. And, and then there is... You know what? As this progress, there is this sense of completion and wholeness, the one who endures till the end and all of that, you know. And so there's that future tense that's added to it. But the big issue for us is this finished work. Are you included or not? And the answer is yes. Did you vote for it? No. In fact, our vote was to kill him, as Baxter would say. You know, we decide to kill him. And, and so you've got these different views. So when you're reading a passage of scripture, you better determine what it's talking about. There is a, there is a passage that says, um, we are the fragrance of Christ to God, right? Which is a fantastic statement. We are the fragrance of Christ to God. For those who are perishing and for those who are being saved, right? That's what the verse says. Well, what what is it talking about? And then it says, to the one, we are a fragrance from life to life, and to the other, we are fragrance from death to death. And in our minds, you would think that that the fragrance from death to death would be connected to those who are perishing. And 
and, and life to life would be to those who are being saved. Actually, it's the reverse. The parallel is ab absolutely the opposite. So it says, we are fragrance of Christ to God, which is an ontological statement. That is, this is true about us, whether we know it or not. And you don't have to behave perfectly to, to be a fragrance of Christ to God. It is who we are. And to those who are perishing, we are a fragrance from life to life. And for those who are being saved, a fragrance from death to death. And it's just like, oh, and, and Paul then says, who can grasp how wonderful this is? Like, this is too impossible to grasp. What is he saying? He's saying that being saved and perishing are not ontological realities. They're existential ones. That is, this is our experience. We can either be making choices to, to ignore, to obfuscate, to deny the truth of who we are in Christ, or we can be making choices in agreement with the truth of who we are in Christ. And, and for those who are perishing, that is that they're in a lifestyle of saying no to love, no to kindness, no to, for whatever reason, mostly brokenness, yeah? Because they don't know what they're doing. That's God and Jesus's statement. And um, so for those who are perishing, we are life to life. We represent something that is alive in the midst of things that they are surrounded by that are, are death dealing and chaotic. And for those who are being saved, and the switch can be really easy. I mean, you can make choices at any point along this to do some perishing stuff, you know? like to not forgive somebody. And this got nothing to do whether you're in the in-group, um, in the right religious camp or not, right? Or the being saved at any point. And it's like, oh no, for those who are perishing, we are life to life. For those who are being saved, this is a death process. Saying no to the lies we believed, no to our view of God, no to our view of self, no to our egoism centered, you know, are turning away from the face of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So yes, transaction is involved. Yes, it is unilateral. This is Brad's thing. But the whole thing is centered on a reciprocal relationship of love because we actually matter in the conversation. And it's like, so how many times does that happen? Oh, like a daily thing, right? This is an ongoing thing where Something gets triggered in me, I get to deal with it, I get to work it out, I, you know, I get to forgive someone because, again, you know, <laughs> I get to forgive myself, you know. So there's all these nuances. And yes, um, like Baxter Kruger says, he says, everybody's talking about the second blessing or the second work of grace and all that. Why would you stop it too? Hmm. You know, so... It's a process, which we hate. We don't, we'd rather have a red or a blue pill sure. process. But does the process have a beginning, Paul? I, th I think, again, coming back to, to Peter's sermon in Acts 2, where he, he preaches, they say, what must we do to be saved? He says, repent and be baptized. And it says, you know, 3,000 men were added to their number that day. Uh, there's that, that beginning, like number, firing, yeah. firing of the gun in that moment of, all right, now these these 3,000 men and presumably their families along with them were baptized because again, so they, we they assume that their re response yeah. was in accordance to what he said, repent and be baptized. And so it's the, it's the beginning of a journey for those, for those families, wow. I guess. Read the man born blind. We've talked about him, right? 
what happens in his life. Jesus, who he doesn't even know, does something. You know, he's a he's a rabbi, and he's a the man born blind is just this guy caught in a Sunday school uh, lesson. You know, and and suddenly he hears spit and and mud is put into his eye sockets. The the sense in that passage, by the way, is that he has no eyeballs at all. There's just nothing there, mm. and because um, he's hard to recognize, and some and he says later. Haven't you said yourself that nothing like this has happened since the creation? Right, mm. like, right, something, something out of was what created? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, and and what does Jesus do? Call on him to repent and be baptized? No, he disappears. Mm. Right. So, so Jesus himself is just like gone, and and now the guy is surrounded first, trying to convince his friends and family that it's him. And, and then, the, you know, they hear about it. So the, the theological people show up and, and you begin to watch his process where he first says he begins to call the spit and mud an anointing, right? Because all Jesus says is go to scent, which is the, the little well where he could wash his eyes out. And, and so when he got the mud out, there was an eyeball he could see, you know. And so and then he starts like, huh. And he, they, what happened to you? Well, this man, um, you know, at first he's like, I don't, I don't know. And then it's, well, this man named Jesus. And then it's like, well, do you think he's a prophet? And, and like, I don't know. How could someone who's not a prophet do something like this? I mean, you watch his movement. And then finally, when he's being confronted by the theologians, his response is, hey, hey you're not wanting to become one of his two, do you? You know, and so you've seen the movement that is apart from the presence of Jesus. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is opening up his inside eyes at the same time mm-hmm. as there has been biological miraculous manifestation. And, and he starts the day the way he ended it, except that he can see he's booted out of the church because, you know, at first he was because he, he was blind and you, you can't have that you know, can't touch the defiled. At the end of the day, it's because he's a heretic. And, and he's like, okay, the only thing that's really changed here is I can see plus, I would love to meet this man. Hmm. And Jesus shows up to him at that point and says, you know, what happened? And he tells again. And he says, who is he that I can find him? You know, well, it's the one speaking to you. And he's done. I mean, he's, he's all that process happens in one day. But but again, uh, the introduction in, in the Pentecost story and all of that, yeah, there are, there are times. Oh, let me put it this way. I have a very good friend who knew um, Billy Graham very, very well. And, um, and in the years before Billy passed away, in fact, my friend died exactly one year before Billy did on the same day. And they were close to the same age. And, um, and, and, Billy had told my friend, he said, you know, it wasn't until after all the crusades that I realized I never invited people into a relationship with a person. I introduced them to a decision. Right. And he really was grieved about that. And, um, and yet I know lots of people who went to a Billy Graham crusade and had it, had an encounter with God. Right. So here's the point. You're the, this is a relationship. So there's going to be plenty of encounters. Yeah. You can look back and say, 
well, that was a pretty massive encounter. And in, in my people history, we always like to know the date and time that we, we crossed the bridge, you know, and I never had that. I don't remember a time where Jesus wasn't a part of my life. And I entered into a, a sense of community with Jesus because the tribal people did. And they did it without the missionaries' involvement. And they, and they did it en masse. And they did it um, also with a huge action. They took all their spirit-worshipping stuff and all their warrior stuff, all their, all their weapons that kept them safe. And they created a pyre that was three feet wide, three feet high, and a hundred yards long. And they burned it. And the missionaries were the ones going like, hey, this is, might not be a, a good idea because your enemies will just, and a lot of them got massacred. But they went, no. If, and, they, and they didn't get this from the missionaries. There were other tribal people who had then come down and said, you know, we have some good news for you. You've been included. And, and, and the missionaries were actually trying to, to stop them. And they were like, no, no, you're either in or you're not in. Right. And, um, and if you're in, then how can we hold on to our weapons of warfare? Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's got some implications. eh? Yeah. It certainly, it reminds me of in Ephesus when they started just burning their idols and stuff. And it wasn't because they were told to, it was because out of relationship, the Holy spirit begins to, to change things on the inside. And as some of us heard in, in a teaching from Brad last night, our, our living begins to become more and more in line with Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Um, yeah. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That is grace. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Either that or you're going to try to perform your way. And if, and if you still think you're a piece of crap at the core of your being, all you're going to feel like is you're faking your way through righteousness of some sort. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, Paul, I want to take just a, a quick break uh, to do. do a little little advertisement here. Um Today's episode is brought to you by the Impact Nation's COVID-19 feeding program. We've got partners that are feeding the starving in the Philippines, Kenya, India, Nepal, uh, Uganda, uh, about to be Colombia. I just got an email this week about that. Uh, this week we're focused on Uganda because we've got a really unique opportunity to feed thousands of people in the slums of Kampala. Uh, the truth is, all over the globe, um, people who are day laborers, uh, who would be going out and working today, earning cash today, would then go buy their groceries with that tomorrow. Uh, and right now they can't do that. Uh, they're, they're told to shelter in place just like the rest of us. Um, so Trinity actually has this amazing system worked out uh, to distribute food in a very dangerous area, actually, where you can imagine if you just brought in a truck full of food into a slum like that, uh, it would be absolute pandemonium immediately and people would get uh, injured and all sorts of things. So we've seen that sort of thing in the movies before. Uh, so he's got this system worked out where they're distributing tickets that can be traded in at the local grocers for a pack of food. And that pack of food can feed a family for three weeks. Um, so 100% of the donations for this program that are coming in through Impact Nations are being spent on those groceries. There's not a penny spent on administration. We're covering the cost of uh, sending the money overseas, things like that. Uh, we're covering the credit card processing fees, all those things. So you can feed a family 
uh, for three weeks for only 30 bucks. So we would love it if you could be a part of this effort. Uh, you can give at impactnations.com slash feeding. Uh, and I guarantee you, your gift today will be food in somebody's hands in just a few days. So uh, the Lord has been incredibly faithful to just connect us with partners all over the globe who are just running into this situation uh, with the good news that uh, Jesus cares enough to have sent this food for you. Uh, so it's been a joy to partner with them. Um, Paul, That's so great. Yeah. So great. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? I was telling you that, telling you, yeah. I was telling you that one of our grandchildren was uh, adopted as a one-and-a-half-year-old throwaway child out of Jinja, which is just outside of Kampala. And, uh, and uh, it's on the outskirts. And... I mean, what you're doing is so, well, here, here's, here's the difference. I'm, I've trained theologically and all that. Kim doesn't care, my wife. Hmm. She doesn't care at all about theology. She cares about incarnation, right? So don't, don't tell me about the good news. Be the good news. Hmm. And, and, and that's a, such a hugely important thing. You know, it's like Francis of Assisi saying, you know, always be ready to preach the gospel, and if you have to use words, you know, yeah. and um, but there there has to be a point of incarnation here. And throughout history, it's the followers of Jesus who have run toward the suffering just like God does. Right. This is not a God because there was no suffering like this inside the life of the Trinity, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We brought that to the table. And we brought a cross to the table. God doesn't build torture devices intending to suffocate people through in, intense pain and destructive breakage, you know. And we do that. So, you know, we're the ones that have twisted the planet in such a way that, that viruses, instead of staying within the frame of reference that they were created for, which is absolutely essential for human existence, we could not live on this planet without viruses, right, because they take apart bacteria. Hmm. And and we would be one massive bacterial slime ball if there weren't viruses. In That's fact, a our lovely whole, thought, Paul. Thank you for that. Oh, and our <laughs> and our our well, yeah. But think about it. Viruses are created by God as part of the natural world, the created order, the cosmos, as something that is essential for humanity to even be able to exist. Without without viruses taking apart bacteria, we'd have no water cycle hmm. we wouldn't have snow we wouldn't have rain we wouldn't have sleep and and uh we would we wouldn't have a way to live but since we are these incredible beings whose ability to choose actually matters um we can participate in changing the kind of damage that we brought to the table so yeah we brought the cross to it and what does jesus do what who what does god do he doesn't run from the cross he runs to the cross and by submitting to our destructive, death-wheeling independence destroys the power of it and then transforms a torture device into an icon and a monument of worship and grace and beauty and wonder. Only a redeeming genius can do that. Hmm. And we get to participate. So when you're doing this stuff in... The Philippines, where you've lived and I've worked, and you're doing this stuff in Nepal, and you're doing this stuff in in um, Uganda, all of this—that's incarnational. And 
And, and that is transform that is caring for our brothers and sisters, because you won't meet a person who's not already in Christ because all of creation is in Christ. And you won't meet a person in whom Christ does not dwell, who is not a child of God. You won't meet a person who's not a child of God. And if you don't believe that and you love scripture, read Paul's Acts 17 sermon on Mars Hill. Because what I just told you, he says explicitly twice. And so this is not just an action in order to save people. It is the way you love your brothers and sisters. Hmm. And, you know, I don't know the, the extent of God's love for me. I'm still in a journey. I'm still trying to figure things out. I still act out of being triggered and say stupid things and, 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 uh, break things that ought not to be broken. And I still do that a lot less, right? I mean, there's been a trajectory. Mm -hmm. I I don't stay in my triggered state for months like I used to. It might take me a couple hours and I can work my way through it and see the truth about something and ask for forgiveness and when I've hurt somebody and all that. So there's been a trajectory, but that's true for every single human being's life. And sometimes these acts of kindness, the the incarnational presence of Jesus in the world, um, or the running toward the suffering. You know, I've got three of our kids are in the front lines in the sense that one's a police officer, one's an ER nurse, and she's had to help intubate COVID patients and and has nightmares at night, you know. Yeah. And uh, is the mother of... uh, twin two-and-a-half-year-olds and a four-year-old, right, wow. our, our grandchildren, right? And, and even our youngest, Matthew, who's uh, 26, he works at Costco, and that's there. Yeah. So, you know, there's all these, and we know people who, who have been impacted by this. So, so we stay within the social protocols and the quarantining and all of that because that's an act of love. It really is, and we can't forget that. In a time where you don't know if you're you you have you're positive or not, and you may be asymptomatic, we don't know, and and so it is it is an act of love to keep that social distancing. Although I would, I really look forward to hugging my babies again. Yeah, yeah, but again, what you're doing is really beautiful. Thank you for for your participation in that. Well, we're blessed to to be able to do it. It's a I I love my job. I, I often say right here on this podcast, my job is to be the connector of these incredible uh, partners who are, again, just running into the darkness uh, to bring the good news, uh, to demonstrate the good news. And yeah. and then I get to connect them with the this incredible Impact Nations family that's all over the world that are uh, praying for them and cheering them on and and giving sacrificially in order to empower the work. And I just I'm the middleman, and I, man, what joy it brings me! It's wonderful. Um, yeah. I'm interested to know something. I want to talk a little bit about reconciliation um, because, you know, you talked about Acts 17 and and how, um, you know, if you really look at Paul's sermon there, he's saying that Christ is indwelling already, uh, and yet he also talks about uh, elsewhere, he's got the ministry of reconciliation. Absolutely. And so what is our role as Christ followers to reconcile people to Christ 
if because I hear what you're saying, in one sense, if all things are in Him, uh, at Colossians one, then He's there is already. I'm still trying to figure this out, Paul. You can hear me just okay, stumbling so, over my so, words. Yeah. So part of it is that you have to realize that the truth of reality happens outside of time and then works into time. So Christ is slain from the time of the beginnings, from the foundation of the world, right? And yet it's in space and time in our human timeline that that enters in. So yes, God was in Christ and reconciled the cosmos, the entire creation to himself, not counting their sins against them. So that's the frame of reference. But we have the ministry of reconciliation in space and time. And let's talk about Let's talk about the distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation, because they're very different. Forgiveness is for the sake of the victim. Reconciliation is for the sake of the perpetrator, right? That by itself, that little distinction will help a lot of us religious people tremendously, because forgiveness is in your power. It's for the sake of the victim. When you've been hurt, most of the time, the person who hurt you doesn't care or doesn't know yeah. or is dead. And if you're waiting for somebody else to change so that you can move on with your life, good luck with that. And Peter goes like, so how many times do I have to forgive? Like seven? And, and what's funny about that passage is that Jesus reaches all the way back to Genesis and to one of the grand, great, great, great grandsons of Cain. Lamech. And Lamech's thing was, if Cain has been avenged seven times, I will be avenged 70 times seven. And so when, when, when Peter goes, so how many times? Seven? Jesus says 70 times seven, right? So he is in that statement doing something that, that, that draws the whole of history together. And, and 70 times seven then became this sort of infinite um, uh, code word. Right. It's like, no, as many times as it takes. So and then and Peter goes, well, that's impossible. You know, and Jesus goes, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. Almost imperceptible. You could say to this mountain of unforgiveness, be picked up and cast into the sea. That's the context of that verse Mm. is that conversation, which means, listen. If you've been harmed then unforgiveness means that you've grasped that person or that event and you've hung it on yourself. And our problem is, is that we begin to poison all of our relationships because we can't let something go. And part of that is sometimes we think that our, we need retributive justice in order to validate letting it go, right? And, um, and it's like, no, 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 don't you understand that this event and this person is controlling your life. And for your sake, you need to let this go so that you can be free. The problem is a lot of times we become so comfortable with our damage and what hurt us that it becomes our identity. And so, you know, the Holy Spirit is constantly going like, you're in prison and you're going like, no, this is my home. This is my home. And you, and you can't have a conversation without that pain and that event and that, what that person did, yeah? And Jesus is going like, no, you have the power to forgive. That is always in, it's something that you have authority to do. Now, reconciliation, 
See, that's a different animal. Reconciliation is the rebuilding of trust and relationship. That's for the sake of the perpetrator. And it's, it's arduous. It involves confession. It involves owning what you did, right? It involves changing over time. So even though all of creation was reconciled, there is a process of reconciliation that is happening in space and time. And, and we're the perpetrators, right? So yeah, we've been victims, but guess what? We turned around and, and hurt people ourselves. Hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. You know, broken people break people. And so it's like, oh, so we're perpetrators at different, at different points in our life. But here's, here's part of the beauty of this. You can forgive someone and never trust them again. Now, the work of the Holy Spirit is also for the sake of the perpetrator to heal their heart. And so there's a work of reconciliation that is going on to rebuild trust. But frankly, until you see that person own what they did, confess it, ask for forgiveness specifically about what they did. And, and if they don't change, don't trust them. Right? Because a lot of Christians, they confuse forgiveness and reconciliation. So it's like, well, if I forgive them, I'm supposed to like them now or right. like the way, the, the way of their being or how they do stuff. Or now I need to let my children, yeah, they, they abused one of my kids, but now I'm supposed to, if I for, really forgave them, then I've got to let my children go over to their house and have a sleepover. Hell no, no, no. A thousand times no, Right. Because the process of reconciliation is entirely a different journey than the extending of forgiveness. And forgiveness is not just an event because, you know, I've got sexual abuse in my history as a missionary kid, both in the tribal culture and then at boarding school. And, and I've dealt a lot with it, you know, through therapy and all that. And I've forgiven those involved and all that. But even a year ago, I got triggered by something that brought up a memory that I had to go back into with Jesus and work through the forgiveness piece again with regard to that, you know? So there, to me, I see this whole journey as a spiral that goes deeper into the soul. Hmm. A good, that's a good thing. But when you go around the circle of that spiral, it feels like you're just going in circles. And, and I, I know now in my heart, this is an internal revelation that scripture will affirm that he has begun a good work in you and will complete it, yeah? So I don't see that ever going in circles, that even though it's so incremental, you can hardly see it. You're never the same person from one day to the next, depending on what you've responded to in the course of this day. But sometimes you have to get really deep before you can deal with some of the the really deep fears and the really deep losses, and it comes up. But but everything that you built before that allows you the capacity to deal with it there. So we have a ministry of reconciliation that is to re for the sake of the perpetrators in us all to rebuild trust and change. And it's through confession and change, right? Repentance is change, right? It's not trying to pay for it. So, no. so help me understand. Cause I'm trying to keep up, uh, rebuilding trust in which direction? Like if, if our, if our ministry of reconciliation is reconciling man to God. Because we don't have to reconcile God to man, right? What does that verse say? 
for God was in Christ and reconciled the cosmos to himself. Why? Because he took both the human side and the God side Mm -hmm. and reconciled them in the person of Jesus. Right? Now, beg as if, you know, beg one another, be reconciled from your side. Right? Which means the repentance and change and confession and, right? Because that's the process by which you then become reconciled in that direction. God already did it in Christ, but now you still exist as a human being who could potentially say no to love forever without ever escaping love. You can't escape love because you're created inside of it. And this is God who will never leave you or forsake you. So there's going to be no separation, but you could potentially, even in the embrace of love, continue to say no. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. So what reconciles you? You do. You have to change. So And we're back know. to that necessary response, that turning Correct. and changing Correct. changing the way you think. But also, as you said, belief is actually trust. So learning to trust in the, yeah. the saving work of the cross and in yeah. the and in the character of God. You, be, you believe in a religion, you trust a person. Hmm. Oh, I love that. Man, somebody print a t-shirt. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, so, you know, and, th- and thankfully, following Jesus has never been, never intended to be a religion. Yeah. Paul, uh, have you got just a few more minutes? I've got a couple of listener questions that I'd love to discuss. I wanted to take just one more uh, time out real quick. Uh, yep, do it. J- just to talk a little bit about uh, who Impact Nations is. If you're new to the podcast, uh, I just wanted to let you know that uh, since 2005, Impact Nations has been demonstrating the gospel, both practically and supernaturally, to some of the world's most vulnerable people. Uh, the way we like to say it is that we rescue lives with a really big gospel. We believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to transform lives. And all over the globe, we've seen the kingdom of God penetrate this world. Blind eyes are open, the lame walk, the deaf hear. And in addition to countless healings, hundreds of thousands have received food and clean water. Thousands receive medicine every year. Our skills and business programs have brought economic freedom to hundreds of graduates, including sexual abuse victims, single mothers, and former gang members. In all of these things, we boldly proclaim that their freedom is found in Jesus, and we simply invite people into the abundant and eternal life that Christ has already purchased for them on the cross. If all of this sounds like a lot of fun to you, why don't you come play with us? When the world isn't in the middle of a pandemic, Impact Nations typically conducts around eight journeys of compassion each year. These 12-day trips put you on the front lines of ministry where you heal the sick in Jesus' name. You bring clean water to remote villages or prisons or city slums, and every day you invite people into a life in Christ. If international travel isn't your thing, we've got ongoing transformational projects happening all over the world that can only be accomplished through your generous donations. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about Impact Nations, just head to impactnations.com. Uh, you'll find our email there, our uh, phone number. We'd love to hear from you. Just give us a shout, and we'd love to tell you a little bit more about who we are and what we do. So thanks for joining us on the Impact Nations podcast, and thanks for being a part of the Impact Nations family. Um, Paul, I, I had a really great question that came in from a listener this week um, asking about um, some of our biases that we actually approach 
um, our relationship with God in, some of our biases that we approach the scriptures with, um, and asking how do we how do we become aware of those biases and their their limitations and the prejudices that they that they bring uh, as we approach yeah. our our Lord and Savior, really, and as we approach the scriptures. Oh. Well, one, one asked Jesus about him, you know, I mean, actually talk to the Holy Spirit mm. and, and ask the questions. You know, I grew up in a world where questions weren't allowed because they sort of attacked somebody's certainty. And, um, um, but questions are invitations. And it's not about getting to a place where you're so rationally put together that all of your logical ducks are in a row. That's not the goal. The goal is to be a whole human being fully human, fully alive, right? Where the, the work of the Holy Spirit is to eradicate anything, I mean, destroy, you know, consuming fire, destroy anything in you that is not of love's kind because it's hurting you. And um, so you're going to run into biases. When you feel your heartbeat elevate, when you feel like you got to scramble for those uh, special verses that, that contradict a rational assessment, you know, those are good signs. How about when fear shows up or there's a, a lack of joy in your life or, or you feel lonely? You know, all of those are, are indicators that, that you're working under some form of bias or prejudice or set of assumptions that are faulty. And, and part of it is to allow people into that conversation. You know, this is, this is not intended to be done alone because you'll just be involved with this my friend calls it self-referential incoherence and 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 one is trust the holy spirit so uh, all that to say stay present to what the questions are today right and and pay attention to what they are today what's what's actually asking for your response there are some things you're not going to be able to solve in your, even in your own mind in terms of the rationality of it. But we're so indebted to in the West to post-enlightenment rationalism that, that many of us, I think especially men in our, in our culture, have learned to hide in their heads. And it's taking a long time for that 18-inch penetration where the heart and the head begin to be united, right? So, so again, um, yeah. I, was, I had a friend who wrote a book on hermeneutics, which is how to interpret scripture, yeah? He's a professor, a PhD, and he asked me to read his book, and I did. And he said, so what do you think? And I said, it's great. I mean, but you left out all the real significant issues when it comes to interpreting scripture. He's like, what? And he wasn't offended. He's just like curious. He's like, what, what did I miss? I said, you missed job security. You didn't even mention job security. And... And I'm around professional Christians all the time, uh, experts, you know. And let me tell you, job security has more impact on their ability to interpret scripture than almost anything that I know. How about peer recognition? You know, my peers know that I think this way. I can't change my mind now. Or, wow. or I've taught it this way for 40 years. How could I change now, right? Those are affective things. Those aren't intellectual things, and yet they rule our capacity to understand things. And it's like, so what, what am I afraid of? Why, why am I even afraid to ask the question? You know, and, and what would it cost me 
I have the emails from people and, the, and my people and they'll go like, I am terrified to take the risk to trust that God is as good as you communicate. And you're wrong. And, you're wrong. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah. So you want to go live with that ogre God that's sitting on your shoulder? You want to go live forever with that ogre God? You know, and it's like, for real, that's what you want. And it's just like, if, if terror, if terror and fear or shame are the underlying motivators for why you hold on to what you do, false identity and all that kind of stuff, that should be red flags to you, right? Because there is no fear in love and God is love. And, and again, it's like, ah, oh. and then like the man born blind, when it, at what point does the way of my being actually begin to match the truth of my being? If there's an incoherence between my inner world and my outer world, something's wrong. And I can guarantee it's probably up here, right? Um, transformation is by the blowing of your mind, as Baxter would say. But, but again, we're all twisted up. And, and everybody who thinks that they know everything today thought they did 15 years ago. And trust me, they didn't think that this way 15 years ago. Guess what? There's another 15 years coming, hmm. you know, and it's like, relax, give yourself some space. Relationship with God is relationship. It's not about intellectual accuracy. Allow the Holy Spirit to teach you. And if you come across a, a well, what about this? Put it on the shelf. Well, give it to the Holy Spirit. Put it on the shelf, put it in a little box and give it back to the Holy Spirit. It says, I don't know about this, but let me tell you the things that I do know. So always start your conversation and end your conversation with Jesus. Because Jesus is the clearest revelation of the character and nature of God that has ever been presented to us. And so if you don't look through the person of Jesus and try to solve your, your issues out here, you're going to always be in a conundrum. You go back to the simplicity. Is God good or not? Is God love or not? Uh, is there any darkness in God? Does the way of God's being always match the truth of God's being? Yeah. Mm. And that has really big implications. So, and lots of other conversations that we could have. Sure. But, um, yeah. Well, at the risk of going down a rabbit trail, I'm, I'm a little... I, I want to touch on the fear of God because it, the scripture clearly oh. says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and the, and we are to fear God. And uh, then it says that we're not no to be afraid. So can you talk to us a little bit about the fear of God and perhaps on sure. the periphery of that is the holiness of God? Sure. Yeah. Both of those. So, so it's very explicit in John. There is no fear in love, period. There's not, there's, there's not even what we would call the fear of God in the way that we usually define it. Because most, most of us define fear as afraid, like, like uh, uh, so in your relationship with your children, as they, as they get to know the depth of who you are and the wonder of who you are, there is an appreciation for who you are. But never would you say, well, the sign of the, of their true love for me is how afraid they are of me. Right? Yeah. You'd never say that. No. Not unless you're really bent. And 
And so the, the phrase, and it talks about the fear of the Lord and all that, it's talking about reverence and awe. And it's actually proximity that allows you to enter into reverence and awe and worship, not distance. And so we define fear as distance. We're totally moving in the wrong direction. It's intimacy and knowing that grant to you the wonder. It's like when you have this little baby who's just come out of the birth canal and you're holding this little baby for the first time, you're all in. I mean, like, I don't care. I don't even know you. Not really, right? Yeah. I don't know you. As you get to know someone, your sense of who they are begins to expand because it's not love that actually grows. It's knowing that grows and love is just the skin of knowing, right? So, so knowing, so knowing, this is eternal life that you know him. That's about intimacy and proximity. That's not about distance and intellectual veracity. It's, it's like, yeah, religion has all these rules, but children absolutely violate the, the rules of, of, you know, if the king is sitting there who has the, has the power to, to behead everybody and the child runs in and violates all those rules, right? And we're not, I'm not talking about God being the king who beheads everybody at all. But I'm saying that knowing relationship is the centerpiece of this. Love and knowing, right? This is why infatuation is such a false thing, because it's based on not knowing someone. Hmm. Real love is always knowing and real knowing will destroy infatuation or the imagination of what somebody is, you know, um, porn is, is infatuation. It's not knowing. And, um, so, um, so to fear God is to reverence and awe the character and nature of what kindness, gentleness, patience, long suffering, Fury at everything that is not of love's kind, right? Which is that which is hurting the ones that God loves, which would be you and me. So it's it's getting to know and and it's intimacy that is at the centerpiece of the fear of the Lord, not distance, separation, and all that kind of nonsense, right? And it's true in our most dearest relationships. They only increase in their magnificence as the depth of knowing increases, right? Okay, so how does holiness fit into that? Holiness was the big scary word for us growing up, you know, because it was, that was, it was some form of antiseptic purity from which I was disengaged because of my sinfulness, right? And that's the whole separation mentality. And, um, um, and I asked a question one time to a group of people. I said, so before there was creation, do you think God was holy? Well, yeah. So holiness fundamentally has nothing to do with sin at all. Yeah. The, the term itself means one of a kind or unique or other, right? And it's relational. All these terms are relational. If you can't drive an idea or a concept into relationality, it's probably incorrect, right? Hmm. So this is the one-of-a-kind love that exists between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy. Wholeness is directly related to holiness. And so when you see the magnificent of the wholeness of this love that is other-centered self-giving, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. 
that Jesus Christ is Lord, but also that God is your Father, and the, and the Holy Spirit dwells within you that cries out, Abba, you know? So all of these things are, so I'm, I'm not afraid of holiness at all. It's the relationality of this unique kind of love. And um, uh, I'm the child. I get to be the child. I get to run into whatever religious environment there is and say, you know, I might be a mess. I was out playing in the mud, but I'm his child. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you see God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they go like, yeah, he's a mess, but he's, he's mine, you know. And it doesn't mean we don't have to deal with our crap because we do. Doesn't mean that we don't have to work it out, and a lot of us have to go to therapy to help someone to talk to that because we haven't learned how to trust anybody, mm. and when uh, we need help, and God has raised up all these wholeness modalities to try to to try to give us opportunity and um, entrances into different pathways that are unique to us that will help us come to healing. But only the Holy Spirit who knows how magnificently we've been created and then how deeply we've been wounded and damaged only the holy spirit knows how to craft a process by which we will we will become whole and then wholeness is holiness you know wholeness is holiness man that's some good stuff one last listener question for you um, yeah. a little bit about just some influences uh in your life the question is who are the historical persons or streams within or without christianity that have most influenced your thoughts on the nature of god and your relationship and our relationship to him negatively or positively let's go with positively <laughs> thank you <laughs> I could, I could tell you a whole list of lawyers who had a really negative impact. <laughs> Calvin was a lawyer. Luther was a lawyer. Augustine was a lawyer. <laughs> Those who have been positive. And it's a wide gamut. And they come from all kinds of disciplines, whether they are in science or whether they are in poetry or art or whatever. But theologically, it would be um, sort of the Trinitarian Celtics. It would be you know, if you, if you want to read a mind-blowing little book, it's Athanasius, Athanasius, on the incarnation of the Word of God, written in like 320 AD by this young 21-year-old North, North African brother who basically rescues the community of faith out of going down the rabbit hole. And, uh, and so you've got, you know, a whole, and there, and there are people like Brad Jerzak and Baxter and, and, and John McMurray and all these folks um, uh, can trace a lot of what they do. Uh, the Torrance brothers out of Aberdeen, right? They can trace a lot of what they do through the Celtic side of the conversation, not the Western side of the conversation that most of us inherited here, but uh, the Celtic side. And out of that comes your C.S. Lewis and out of that comes your George MacDonald. And, um, and uh, uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning and, just people who, uh, as, and, and also in the mystics, like your Madame Guillon and Teresa of Avila, and you've got these, these folks, you know, and, um, and the Catholic mystics as well. Um, a big, huge influence in me sociologically and theolo theologically was Jacques Galou, a lot of France. And uh, he wrote like, I don't know, 30 books on sociology and 30 on theology. And, but I mean, reading him is a little rough. To, uh, let me just warn you. Um, oh, if you go to the website, 
on my resource page, there's a whole bunch of resources that I think a, a bunch of us are trying to create places that are helpful. Yeah. I don't care about being smart. I really don't. I don't care about notoriety and platform. To me, what's happened with the shack is God's great sense of humor is like, I like to put it to my people, you know, it's proof that God can still speak through Balaam's ass. And uh, <laughs> that's for real, for real. So it's about how can we be helpful, you know, and it's like what you're doing in terms of impact and how, how can we be helpful? And, um, and so on that list on WM Paul Young, there's a resource page that has a whole bunch of, um, resource materials that are helpful and uh, it's a good it's a good place to go and that includes some of my influences yeah let me ask you a question i asked brad actually just last week on the podcast uh, which is you mentioned one of the church fathers why why should we give more weight to the church fathers uh versus more modern theologians even you know the ones that don't seem that modern anymore but such as as calvin or or somebody of that ilk why is it important, do you think, for us to go back and, and familiarize ourselves with the, the beliefs and teachings of the early, early theologians, the church fathers? Because yeah. uh, I was resistant to that idea when I, you know, as, a, as an evangelical, when I first started hearing this stuff as far back as 10 or 15 years ago, I was like, ah, no, the, the Word of God is the best commentary on the Word, and, uh, you know, we need to just stick to the Word of my God. My interpretation, at least, right? <laughs> my interpretation of the Word of God is the uh -huh. best commentary. <laughs> and, and, and I'm clear with people that I believe in the infallible inerrant word of God and his name is Jesus Christ. Mm. Right. And, and that's what that's the Mount of Transfiguration in the in the face of Moses and the prophets. Listen to him. This is my son. Right. And so or Jesus, you're looking at scripture as if it contains eternal life. It doesn't. It, it, it only is valid as it speaks of me. Mm. You know, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Right. Didn't see it clearly, but he saw it in bits and pieces. So um, why the early church fathers, in a sense, is because they are very much closer to the apostles than we are. And um, and so they were involved in a conversation. They were trying to hammer this stuff out. I mean, it took them hundreds of years to come up with how do we how do we even begin to process the an understanding of Trinity without it being three different gods, you know? And what language can we use to do that? You, you read Athanasius in 321 and it'll blow you away because of how the depth and the beauty of it. We have this idea that the old people were dumber than us, you know? And, and it's like, no, they were closer to the source. And so that's why, I think that's what Brad would say too, is that, you know, and it's not that they were all right. You, there's still discernment involved and there's still church politics that had already entered into the conversation. And there's, there's still the abuse of, uh, uh, and the abuse of the authority of women. That's definitely part of the problem that the early church fathers, had. they were working it out. I mean, they were literally fistfights in bars over the issue of the Trinity, right? They, it would start fights. And, um, and so it's like, nah, they, they were in the thick of things. It's not just all, fun and games here. But again, ultimately, you're going to have to trust the Holy Spirit. And I think that's part of the great kindness of God to make sure we didn't have any original manuscripts of scripture. It's like, if you wanted a reason for idolatry, that would be it right there. You know, 
And, and you have to realize there are all these different translations of scripture because people come to them with their own paradigms. And it's like, well, then how do we know what's true? The spirit of truth dwells in you. You have a teacher that abides in you. And you don't need anybody to teach you in that sense of telling you what the truth is because the teacher dwells in you and you can trust the Holy Spirit. But see, religion will always take the voice of the people away from them and tell them what the truth is on, on their own behalf. And this is not like that. This is the fact that the Holy Spirit does dwell in you. When something doesn't feel right, you know, hold it, hold it carefully. And, and even, it doesn't matter who's saying what. If something contradicts the character and the nature of a God you're coming to understand as good and beautiful and kind and generous and, and gracious, just put it on the shelf if somebody is contradicting that. I don't care how smart they are. You know, there's a lot of really smart people that don't know how to love their neighbor, right? Mm. Let alone their enemy. And so it's like, oh, no, relax. There is, this is not a God who is caught by surprise in your process, right? And it's just like, this is where a little bit of humility comes in and say, you know what? I don't know it all. I don't have it all together. And I don't care if I've gotten 12 degrees or PhDs, I still wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, but you can look at the fruit in somebody's life and say, there's a coherence there for a reason. Why? And there's a lot of people who are outside of Christianity who, who bear a coherence in their life that is a mark of the presence of God, partly because they're outside of Christianity. The, the activity and work of, of God is reflected in them in some ways more pure than in what has been uh, encased inside of Western religious Christianity. The intention of God was never Christianity. There was a revelation of, of Jesus Christ in the life of human beings and community. And, 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 I tell, I tell my people all the time, only be a Christian when it's helpful, you know? And a lot of times it's not, because for a lot of conversations, it's just about one religion versus another. God's never been religious. God is out to destroy everything that is not of love's kind in every religious system that human beings have brought to the table, including Christianity. Yeah. So when you say only be a Christian when it's helpful, you're referencing the, uh, the label not the relationship you correct yeah. correct and and a lot of times just like my muslim friends you know and they'll say so are you a christian and they're asking me a label question mm. and I, my answer is well my father was and that's the end of that conversation right mm. so because i'm i'm not i'm i'm moving this into a relational arena and saying that no i i don't stand here as a christian label versus your islamic label you know, there's something else going on. I had a great little conversation with a, um, a young gal who is a foreign exchange student from Indonesia who came last year um, to the Pacific Northwest and stayed with a family whose father knows me. And she read The Shack and it, it absolutely changed her world. Plus, she was involved in a youth group at a church that had a huge impact on her as well. And, and her bucket, on her bucket list was to meet me. And so her, the, the house father called me up and said, would you, would you hang out with her for a bit? So, 
you know, we went over and, and sat outside of St. Arbucks and um, um, Starbucks. And um, then, um, so we're sitting there outside and for like two and a half hours, she just asked me all these questions. And, and then she gets to the place where she says, you know, I'm, I'm going home in a couple of weeks and, and, and my youth group have been constantly telling me that, and they love me and I love them. And, and they're saying, we're going to be praying for you so that you'll take a stand now that you're a Christian. And, but, but my grandmother's Buddhist. And even though I, I haven't believed in all the Buddhist stuff, I, I still, because I love her, I went to Buddhist temple with her every week. And, uh, and uh, my mom's a Buddhist. And um, I, I don't know what this means. What does it mean for me to take a stand now, now that I've become a Christian? And I'm, I don't know how to do that um, because I love my mom and I love my grandmother. And I said to her, well, that's, it's really easy. Just don't be a Christian, you know, be a Buddhist follower of Jesus. And she goes, you're allowed to do that? I said, yeah, I even know Christian followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and she goes, oh, my God. And I saw the weight of the world lifted off her shoulder. And I said, look, trust the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit, just ask the Holy Spirit, how best to love my grandmother? Because I can guarantee you that God is not sending her back to take a stand for Christianity as a religion opposed to Buddhism as a religion. This is about the incarnation of Jesus. This is why you guys go over and give food without, you know, there being a hook involved in it because you're, you're dealing with the incarnation of Jesus in the world. And, it's, and, and I said, yeah, I mean, if it's ever helpful, you can be a Christian, but, but frankly, it's probably way more helpful for you to, you're, you're living in a Buddhist culture, in a Buddhist country, and, and, and you're part of it, and you're a subset, and be, being a follower of Jesus, that's what it is. And guess what? When you, if you, if the Holy Spirit says, yeah, let's go, let's go to the Buddhist temple with your grandma because we love your grandma. And she doesn't know it yet, but she's, she's included. Hmm. And, and we live inside her. You won't be going into a place where I'm not. Right? So, so let me ask you, because you know, you just rattled a whole bunch of cages by saying that. Uh, and, and I'll, I'll admit, you know, you're rattling my cage a little bit too. Um, cages, cages, my, make sure you keep the word cages, all right. right? What's another word for a cage? A prison. prison. Yeah. So I've rattled a whole bunch of prisons. All Guess right. what? <laughs> I love that. I'm able to do that because I'm, I lived in that prison. Yeah. Right. And I actually do trust the Holy spirit in you. And in me, yeah. and and I'm I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit in you. I'm not going to play the Holy Spirit in you. It's good. So let me ask this question: as a guy who's inside of a rattled prison at the moment, um, okay. You know, we were told to be in the world, but not of the world. Yes. So what does it what does it mean in this? Co- let's let's stick with this context of the, the going to um, Christian religion. To, yeah, and let's let's in the context of going to Buddhist temple with with your grandma or whatever, or you know, being a Buddhist follower of Christ, or um, going into a modern church hierarchical system as a follower of Jesus. Sure, a Christian system. <laughs> uh, the first thing that pops into my brain 
I'm just I'm just going to be really honest with you because I think I suspect I represent lots of uh, evangelicals in this regard. Uh, the first thing that comes into my mind is you say, well, let, let's bring Jesus into the Buddhist temple or whatever, which, by the way, I personally have been a part of of praying for the sick inside of a Sikh temple. So I'm I'm fairly far along on my journey, but I'm we're getting you're, there. You're not going to bring Jesus into a place that Jesus, Jesus is already, not. Yes. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> but. Uh, when I, the thing that comes into my mind immediately with with Buddhism in particular is is idolatry, right? We uh, we we like to joke about the, uh, the little Christian little churches Buddhism. comes to my mind. Mm. So yeah, okay. Um, so where how about American? How about Americanism? Oh yeah. How about civil religion linked to Christianity in the West? Okay. Right. So how is that not idolatry? So yeah. where does it? Where does idolatry fall into these things? Like, it, yeah, okay, if we're not to go and take a stand as Christians against idolatry, which, to your point, if we were, then we'd have to start in our own buildings, probably. Um, what is our role when it comes to facing idolatry that is all around us, right? We've got the idolatry of consumerism uh, that is, I mean, we're coming face to face to it right now in the, in the midst of the pandemic, obviously. It, uh, it's so much easier to help people with their idolatry than it is to deal with our own. <laughs> yes. Right? And But think about this. How do we, we are supposed to be in the world, but not of it. Every religious system is of the world. There is no religious system that is originated with the God, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not one. Right? God is not a religious being. God is a relational being. So if you're talking about the world, every religious system is a beast. It may look like a lamb, but it has the voice of a dragon. Mm. Revelation 12. Yeah? Or it's politics. God is not a political being. Every political system on the planet not only exists as a form of idolatry, but it also exists because of human bloodshed, right? It, is, it exists because of Cain killing Abel, and we continue to do it. And so we worship the nation state, right? We're the best. And so we propagate what? The hymns of the nation state. And we set up a sacrificial system. We call it the military industrial complex or whatever, right? And it's, it's what? It's the world. And this is part of what we as followers of Jesus have to confront in our own hearts before we start thinking about, oh, well, so we're going to go over there and tell them how to deal with their idolatry, right? Mm. And it's like, oh, wait a minute relationship and the inclusive nature of the gospel and the person of Jesus means that I am not going to meet a person who is not made in the image of God, who is not in Christ, who is not a child of God. And now we're dealing with, okay, how do we recognize idolatry in my life, in, our, in my community's life, and how do I go about doing that? How do I, and it doesn't mean that I have to vacate the church on 5th and Main unless the Holy Spirit prompts me to do it. But if I'm there, I'm not there to be an anarchist because that's just the way of the world, right? Try to replace one system with my system. Right. 
That's, that's anarchy. That's not, there's nothing, no purpose in anarchy. So it's presence that's going to make impact. So, so you can be there as the presence of what? Love, exposure, confrontation. Yeah, sometimes. As the Holy Spirit leads you, but it will be done in love. It will be an expression of love. If it's not, keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Hmm. And, and because being in that, that kind of contention, you're going to find all kinds of stuff arise inside of you that is not of love's kind. Right. And you're going to try to find a way to justify it. And what we've done on the planet, we've, we've literally, because of our, our need to, to maintain the idolatry of the West, we've put people in very, very difficult situations. Jesus can show up and reveal himself to anybody, anywhere. And if you know the Muslim world at all, that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, where is he doing it? He's doing it inside their, their temples and inside their Muslim, you know, mosques and inside, you know. And I'm someone like, yeah, it even happens inside of evangelical churches. You know, so understand that God is not religious. Understand that, that yet you will find God in every single religious environment because human beings brought them to the table. And God will climb inside of a sacrificial system, which he hates, right? Old Testament. Mm -hmm. and, and, and begin to reform that to free the people involved in it and end the sacrificial system. Right. So you can look at every religion on the planet, not the presence of God inside of a religious system is not to validate the system. It's to destroy that which is not of love's kind. And if you have that lens, suddenly you begin to see the presence of God everywhere, not to validate human stupidity or blindness or idolatry. Idols will be confronted in a very personal sense. We don't have to become the, you know, the systematic anarchists that are out to just destroy all this idolatry. Well, if that's true, start at home, right? Mm -hmm. Start inside your own heart. Yeah. Because, because frankly, we trust the system way much more than we trust the presence of God in our lives. Mm -hmm. We trust money. That's why we put in God, we trust on money, you know? Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's lip service to the God. But, but let it be threatened a little bit by some virus who's jumped host because we have a wet market where people were crammed together with animals that they should not be crammed together with and, and, and relating to it in, a, in an unloving way. And because of that, suddenly our sense of security has been diminished. Why was our security in a system to begin with? Mm. Right. Yeah. Rather than a relationship. Yeah. Is God greater, bigger, grander, more beautiful? You know, and then we have an intellectual conversation about being afraid of God and the holiness of God. As if that has anything to do with our inability to trust. And it does. Hmm. Right. Yeah. This, this is and your your question is so honest and authentic. Thank you for it. Thanks. And Tim, but. That's at the heart of so many of us that are struggling, yeah? yeah? And so, yeah, we can talk theology and all that, but when it comes down to it, we're not even honest with God about what we're afraid of. Yeah. Are you really bigger than this? Hmm. 
right? Yeah. I feel right now that that you aren't big enough to deal with this, or I feel right now that you are with the important people, or I feel right now that, you know, we're not even honest to God. We just tell God the things we think God wants us to say. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. So if we trust our, and this is the last question I promise, because I, I want to respect your time and you've been yeah, very, very kind with your time. But um, if we're trusting the Holy Spirit within us to uh, lead and guide us to help us to, for that to be the lens in which we approach uh, the scriptures, what, what is the guard against some pretty goofy ideas because there's been plenty of goofy ideas throughout the years that you know and a lot of them are called heretical a lot of them are called orthodox christianity hmm. so what was the guard against those you know we make an assumption that we're standing on a sure foundation already hmm. and it's like so how are we going to spin off of this and it's like no your foundations are all screwed up right because they're not about jesus they're about some philosophical um, certainty. And it's like, understand that the Holy Spirit works within the constraints of the human capacity to understand and change and all that incrementally, moment by moment, mm -hmm. right? There is a process by which you are going through. Don't make assumptions that the way we are now is, is finally the right way. You know, and it's like, so what's going to prevent people? Well, let me tell you what prevents is that it's an us that is plural. It's not an us that is singular, right? This is about community. This is about conversation, which we even have a hard time having about really simple things, right? But we're learning, you know, some of the things that have changed since my dad and my grandfather and his generation about baggage and the things that we bring to the table, totally different conversations and very helpful ones, right? So, so, let me put it this way. What would cause less stupidity? Centralizing true spiritual knowledge in a few or dissipating it to the mass? Having the Holy Spirit only be able to speak to certain people who then tell you the truth because they got the education and they've got the background? Or let me give the Holy Spirit fully to everybody. And then let them work it out relationally. Let me tell you, the protections are going to be with the mass. They're not going to be with the individuals because that's where you get your little empires, your religious empires, your cultic stuff and all that. They diminish the voice of the people smaller and smaller and smaller. That's way more potentially devastating. And yet in our minds, it's like, no, they're the guardians they're the ones that are keeping us from doing stupid things and thinking stupid things. <laughs> but wasn't and that the like, model of the early church, though, Paul? I mean, I, if if that wasn't the model, then how do we end up with Paul's letters? Oh, because because he is he is calling out the presence of the of the Holy Spirit in them to acknowledge how this works together. It's in conflict with what? It's in conflict with the Jewish Christians now who are then trying to create a new hierarchy mm. out of this system, yeah. right? They're the ones that are trying to disclose or, or, or decrease um, the presence of the, of the veracity of the Holy Spirit speaking in you. Like, who are you? You just came off the street. 
why would we, why would we think the Holy Spirit could speak to you? Yeah. You know, we've got the Jewish traditions, we've got the Jewish education, we've got the background, and now we're the ones in the know. And Paul's always in conflict with that. In fact, he's the one that says, I'm the firstborn of this, I'm this, this, I consider it all shit. Scubala is the Greek word, right? <laughs> yep. And and it is. It's it's that's the word. And he's saying, why is he saying that? Because the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of every single individual person transcends the corporate intelligence of a hierarchical system. And it's been that way from the beginning. It's the same epistles that are going like, you know better. Let me tell you the truth again about who you are and about who God is. Yeah. Ephesians, the first half of Ephesians, first half of Colossians, first half of all the epistles. And then it's like, so if this is true, then your behavior needs to match it. Right. It's you've denied this, and now you think your behavior is all wonky because you've forgotten who you are and who God is. Yeah. And that's the same writers who are saying things like, you don't need a teacher. You have the Holy Spirit, right, who dwells in you. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's what I'm saying. This is why every conversation with anybody, you can hear the voice of God, right? They don't have to be smart and intellectually trained and theologically minded i'm talking about a child yeah and suddenly the child is telling you something that is true about the character and nature of god in a way that you can grasp it yeah. that all the intelligence in the world wouldn't have communicated to you that way yeah well and my wife and i are we oversee small groups in our church and one of the things that we are regularly communicating to our our small groups is look we trust the Holy Spirit in each of us to speak and give us fresh revelation each week as we gather. And so we, we regularly refer to 1 Corinthians 14, where it says, hey, when you gather, uh, you know, one's going to have a song, one's going to have a prophecy. Like, each of you are going to contribute in a different way. And so, the, you know, that's very much what Paul was teaching in terms of, yeah, the Holy Spirit is going to work in and through each of us corporately as we gather together. Uh, and it doesn't need to come from from one person. And, uh, and I love that. Yeah. And yet I see a lot of times where institutional structures, they'll have their small groups because that's the new fad, but they'll make sure their small group teaches X, Y, Z down the road. You have to say this. Yeah. And if you don't, we'll replace you with a different leader. Yeah. And so we've, we're going the opposite way, which is we actually, our structure for our small groups right now uh, is we, it's three questions, basically. It's, Hey, how can we be praying for you right now? Is there somebody who needs immediate prayer right now before we really get started? Because there's something that is going to keep you from receiving from the Holy Spirit tonight. Because let's just let's just break that off you right now. Let's let's uh, get you to a place where you can receive. And then the second question is, what have you been reading in the Word this week? What's the Lord showing you in His Word? And then we just start reading it. Oh, I'm reading this. Okay, well, let's read that chapter together. And what's the Holy Spirit saying? And before we read it, we just ask again, just invite the Holy Spirit to give us a spirit of revelation. And man, it's incredible what happens. Every week, somebody, somebody speaks. And sometimes like new believers just... Man, I didn't understand this. I read it. I think this is what it means. What do you think? And it's like, wow! I never saw that before. That's amazing. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, right. So, and then, really, and then our final question, by the way, is: So what? What are we going to do about it? How is this going to change the way we interact with our neighbors, with our coworkers? How is this going to change the way we uh, interact with our spouse or our children? Uh, and that's the right question. It's because a lot wonderful. of our conversations would end if we just go like, "Well, so what?" Yeah. So. 
there's all this conspiracy theory about COVID, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And it's the it's because we started uh, 5G technology yeah. and we're going to burn down the 5G stations. And, yeah. and it's like, uh, you know, conspiracy theories are where we go to when we we don't have a God we can trust. Mm. And and, um, and it's also like, so what? So why? Why? Say there was say everything was a conspiracy. The question is still, so what? Yeah. It's like. So how does that change the way you trust Father, Son, and Holy Spirit today, right? Uh, it, it shouldn't at all. Yeah. Because guess what? There are conspiracy theories. I mean, and there's real conspiracy, you know, and they're religious, they're economic, they're political, and, and they almost like take on a life of their own. We know we're surrounded by those. So what? Yeah. You know, let's be in the world and not of it, right? Yeah. Pretty cool. <laughs> well, Paul, this has been absolutely a delight. It's just it's been a joy to get to know you. Thank you so much for giving your time to us today. Uh, maybe we'll get to do this again sometime. All right. Thanks for creating a space for such a. That was a really helpful conversation for me, and um, it was helpful and for so me, and hopefully it was that. helpful for our listeners too. Um, hey, folks, if you are listening, if this is your first time uh, listening to the Impact Nations podcast, I would encourage you subscribe. We have conversations like this every week. Uh, often we have like a teaching one week, and then the next week we just start tearing it apart with lots of questions to to better understand it. Um, and we've been doing it for a few years now. So there's lots. Uh, first season was like 36 weeks on the book of John. It was incredible. Um, wow. So if you head to impactnations.com slash podcast, uh, you got all the episodes there. There's a subscribe button right at the top for all of your various platforms where you may listen to podcasts. Um, and I would invite you, please partner with us in feeding the starving right now. Uh, it is... There is a very, very real crisis, and people are starving. We are literally rescuing lives. We're saving people from starvation right now. Uh, at impactnations.com slash feeding. Uh, Impact Nations is a registered charity in the United States, in Canada, and Australia. So if you're given from any of those three places, that's a, a tax-deductible gift. Um, we just, we'd love to hear from you as well. So head to our website, send us an email. Um, we'd love to get to know you a little bit. 